0: good morning church family. It's uh, special to get to just worship together with you this morning to proclaim those truths that we've been singing about. That He, Jesus, is the Savior. The Messiah has come. He's been sent by God to rescue and redeem. And every day we get to celebrate that truth. But then every week we get to come together as a family and do that together. And so our prayer this morning and our, our song is that that He is all we need. We know that to be true mentally, but we pray that become true for our hearts even this morning. Um, So it's, it's just an honor to be able to sing with you and worship with you. My name's Paul. I'm one of the pastors here. This morning we're going to continue in the story that we've been walking through since January, going to December. Started in Genesis, we're headed all the way through Revelation, looking at how the whole story of the Bible is one story about God's redemptive work in our lives, throughout history. And so we're in 2 Kings chapter 5, so if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and grab that and turn there. And um, while you're doing that, I just want to pray for us again. And I want to ask you to pray with me. I know Sundays are crazy days for a lot of you. Uh, you r- rush to get here in a rush to get the kids ready and fed, and it can be crazy, hectic. And, and sometimes it's, we don't have the space to just stop and be and worship. And so this is a moment for us to do that. And so as I pray, I want to ask you to pray with me. Uh, pray one for yourself that the Lord just open your eyes to see him, uh, that you would be obedient to whatever He would call you to do or place on your heart this morning. But the second thing I'd like to ask you is to pray that for the person to your right or to your left. Um, There is power when the people of God pray for one another. And so, would you not just listen to me pray? Would you pray with me? We ask that God would open our eyes to see Him this morning. Let's pray together. Father God, we we come in need of You. As we're just saying, You are all we need. And I pray that the weight of those words would just sink into our hearts, sink into our minds and our lives, that you would be all we need, that we don't need the approval of people. We don't need the affection of a person. We don't need a better career. We don't need advancement in this. Or We don't need more obedient kids. We need you. You are our need this morning. And I pray that you would satisfy that need, that we would rest in you and that we would rejoice in you and our joy would be made full in you as your word says. I pray for my friends, I pray for myself, I pray that you would open our eyes to see you. We know your word tells us that only the Holy Spirit can help us illuminate our hearts so that we can see you for who you really are, that we might worship you for who you are. Father, for those in this room who come today who may not even know you, that today that they would see you for who you are. For those who are broken, who are wounded and weary, that you would bind up, that you would heal, you would comfort. those who are dry and weary, that you would be the fountain of living water. Lord, we pray that we'd taste and see that you are good. In this moment, that the people who lead worship, for myself, we'd decrease, that you'd increase, that nothing would be known in this room except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. We love you. What we are not, we ask that you would make us. What we have not, we ask that you give us this morning. You are all we need. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, this past week, uh, not yesterday, but the week before, I got one of those calls that you don't want to get. Uh, it was Friday night, and just putting the kids to bed. I heard my phone vibrating I was feeding our youngest his, his bottle, so I got him taken care of, put him to bed went and grabbed my cell phone. On, I had three missed calls from one of my brothers um, and a text message. And the the calls weren't, they were coming from his phone, but not from him. And it was from a guy that he works out with and said, hey, Joel's in the ER. I need you to call me as soon as you can, you know. And so in a moment, and you guys know what this feels like, everything changes, okay. So I make the call. Uh, He's taken a hit and he works in a gym. He's got hit in the head and concussion and he's now in the hospital um, with that and then also... Uh, he's dehydrated, and so they're doing some brain scans, all this. He's out of it, and so, you know, we take off to the hospital. My parents are out of the country right now. They're serving on the mission field. have got a brother in Texas, a sister who's in Charlotte, another brother in Knoxville, so I'm like, we're the family that's here, and I'm the older brother, you know, so I've got to come in and help, and so we're headed toward the hospital and kind of have an idea what's going on but don't really know what all's going on, and so in that moment, Thinking, praying, hoping, thinking about, okay, if it's this situation, here's what I'm going to do. If it's that situation, what I need to do, talk to mom and dad. Like, well, you know, all these thoughts are going through my head. And in that moment, I'm looking for hope, right? I'm looking for something to shine through. I'm looking for everything to be okay. That's what I'm hoping and praying for, I'm looking to just to get to the hospital and know everything's going to be all right. And you, you feel that. You've been there. And thankfully, got there and checked on him, and he was okay, minor concussion, everything was coming back well. Um, but in that moment, I didn't know what was going to happen. In that moment, I needed hope. I needed help. And as we've been going through the story, and if you've been reading along, and I encourage you to do that, we're going through First and Second Kings and First, and 2 Chronicles, and we see king after king after wicked king after wicked king after idol worship after kind of good king turns to bad king. And it's just like darkness, darkness, depressed. Like, when is hope going to break through? When is light going to break through? When is rescue going to break through? We know that God is for His people. He's working for His people. When is that going to happen? And you feel that weight as we go into these passages together. Then we come into First Kings, I'm sorry, Second Kings chapter five, and we see God break in. We see rescue. We see hope has not gone away. It's here. God's at work. He's working, and he's working in ways that we can't even imagine. He's working in this guy's life named Naaman. And so this is where we're going to be this morning. We're going to read this kind of crazy story about God invading Naaman's life and how it works in Israel. And kind of like Naaman, Naaman has a need. We're going to find out what that is. He's in need of a rescue. Just like Joel, he got hit. And he's, if you know Joel, he's an extremely well-fit, good-looking, tough guy. You might say, well, I see you, so obviously he looks that way. He's tough and strong. I see that, I know. Well, more than me, okay? Just kidding. We know that's not true. But he is like top physical shape. But what happened to him in the gym he needed someone to come help him, rescue him, get him to help. He could not do it on his own. And so what we're talking about this morning, and I'm just going to give you kind of the big idea, the, the big thought, the main message from this passage is this, is that God saves those who are far away. If you were going to title the message, this is what it would be, God saves those who are far away. And this is a story about God reaching in and rescuing a man who is in desperate need of him but who is far away from him. And so these, this is the truth we're going to lean to. And there's really two realities with this statement. When I say God saves those who are far away, reality number one is this. Every single one of us is far away. There is no one close to God. Our sin separates us far from God. If you're a Christian and Jesus far in this room, you know that to be true. We'll feel the way to that in this passage. But then as God's people, as God's church, God has called us and commissioned us to go and carry the good news to those who are far away. And we see that happening in the story of Naaman. So Second Kings chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 1 together. And as we do this, I, I'm, I ask you to read along with me. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the pew in front of you. If you don't have one, take that with you. That's our gift to you. So Second Kings chapter 5, verse 1, I'm going to show us. We're going to look at four truths about Naaman, kind of sprinkled in some realities for us, and then I'll give us a few takeaways as we leave this morning. Verse 1, Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master in high favor because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but, but he was a leper. And so the first thing that we see in this passage, and this is important for us, is that Naaman is powerful and he is successful, but he is powerless to heal himself. So Naaman says he is the king. uh, He's he's over the king's army in Assyria. Assyria is one of Israel's main enemies. They are they are not friends. They are foes right now. So Naaman is a highly Successful military leader, a warlord, a general. He is in high favor. He's not just someone who sits on the sidelines. He is a man of valor. He is very good at what he does. He's successful. He's powerful. Life is going well for him on all fronts. And in fact, his success comes from God. And this is kind of an aside, but what we see here is this man who is not a god He is not a God-worshipper. God is using Naaman for his glory. And he's using Naaman to discipline his people, Israel. Nothing is outside the bounds of God's control. He is working in all things. But Naaman has a problem. He is a leper and leprosy is something that we don't hear a lot about in our culture. There's cures for it now. But in this time, leprosy was the dreaded disease. It was the cancer of this time, it was the AIDS of this time. If you got leprosy, there was no cure. And leprosy, um, it's a disease that eats away at your flesh over time. Doesn't sound pleasant, right? It's not. And not only is it a disease that deteriorates the flesh, it's a disease that attacks the nervous system. So what happens is when you get leprosy, your flesh begins to disintegrate and and rot if it's this very severe case. Uh, It talks about even in the Bible how your skin would turn white from leprosy as it spreads. But not only does it do that, it attacks the nervous system so you can't feel so what would happen a lot of times during this time is maybe leprosy would kill you, but a lot of times what would happen is because it attacks your nerve endings, if you were to be cut or hit or burnt, you wouldn't know it. You couldn't feel it. So what oftentimes happen is people with leprosy, they would receive wounds that they wouldn't know they even had, and those wounds would then lead to other sickness or lead to death. Leprosy was a terrible disease. It was an incurable disease. And so the man who has all the power, the man who has all the success, the man who has it all, is powerless to save himself. And ultimately, Naaman's leprosy, his physical leprosy, is pointing to something deeper. And this is kind of one of the realities, one of the truths for us this morning, is this, as we think through this story, is that Um, our greatest need is not outside of us. Our our greatest need is within us. See, Naaman has leprosy of the body, but not only does he have leprosy of the body, he has leprosy of the heart. It's sin. James talks about sin in James 1. He says that desire leads to temptation. temptation leads to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, it brings forth death. We have sin and brokenness. Each of us carry this within us and it's killing us from the inside out. It's deadening our senses to the things of God. It's deadening our senses to the things that will lead to our destruction. Just like Naaman, we are powerless to fix our deepest need. But the second reality that we see about Naaman in this passage is that Naaman's only hope is for someone to point him to the God who saves Read on with me, verse 2. Now the Syrians, on one of their raids, had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel. And she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, "Would Would that my lord were with the prophet who's in Samaria, he would cure him of leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his lord, the king of Syria, Thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go now, I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, ten changes of clothing, and he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, when this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you, name in my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. Well, that's probably not a letter you want to get. Can you imagine, like, having someone knock on your door? Hey, here's a letter from, you know, this ruler of another nation. When my emissary gets here, would you cure him of all his diseases? he probably panic a little bit on the inside. Well, that's exactly what king does. Verse 7. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive? That this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? So the king said, like, I cannot do this. I cannot heal this man. And so the king's thinking, why would he send him here? He, I cannot do that. And so this is what he comes up with. Only consider and see how he's seeking a quarrel with me. The king of Israel is assuming that the king of Syria has sent Naaman here to start a war. He's thinking, he knows I can't heal him, so he sent him here. I'm not going to be able to heal him. Then he's going to come, he's going to attack my nation, he's going to take my land. What am I going to do? He's in great distress. Verse 8. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king saying, why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me so that he may know that there is prophet in Israel. So the second thing we see about Naaman is that his only hope is for someone to point him to the God who saves. His only hope is that someone would point him to the God who saves. He does not know Yahweh. He does not know the God of I Am. And so he is in his leprosy, is unable to heal and save himself. And so the man who has all the power is powerless. Then we see a new figure emerge. The girl who is a slave It says that she was taken in a rage. so she'd been stolen from her family, her homeland. We don't know if her parents are alive. We don't know if they've been killed. We don't know if they're slaves. We don't know what's happened. All we know is this girl's been ripped from her home, ripped from her country, forced into slavery for Naaman. A young girl in a patriarchal society in the home of an idol-worshipping warlord. And the crazy thing of the passage is that the man with all the power has no power. And the girl who has no power now holds the keys to life and death for Naaman. See the reversal that's happening here. So in that moment, place yourself here. What would you do? You're her. You've been ripped away from your family. You've been ripped away from your home. And now the man who is responsible for your situation needs help, and you have the cure. What do you do? What would we do? And in this moment, this girl who probably doesn't understand why she's been stolen, why she's in this situation, why God would allow this to happen to her, now the girl who doesn't have any of that now has an opportunity to point Naaman to the God who heals. So here's a couple truths for us. One is this. Hardship and pain can, be, can paralyze our faith or become a megaphone of hope. Hardship and pain in your life and my life, difficulty, it can be something that paralyzes us, that robs us of our faith, or it can become a megaphone of hope, an opportunity to praise God, an opportunity to point people to see Him. And that's what this girl does. She knows the truth. She knows who can save. And she holds that out. The second truth that we see in this for us is that recipients of grace can be extenders or withholders of grace. She has a choice as someone who's received grace, as someone who knows who Yahweh is, as someone who knows the God who saves, to extend grace to a man who does not deserve it or to withhold it in bitterness, selfishness, and resentment friends, each of us, if you're a Jesus follower in this room, the same is true of us. You've received great grace from God. You've seen the gospel. You've seen God rescue you and change you from the inside out. You know what God has done in laying down his son's life for you and raising him from the dead on your behalf, on my behalf. And we now have a choice and an opportunity to either extend grace or to withhold grace. And as I was reading through this passage and preparing for this day, this text has been so convicting and challenging for me. So I don't come here saying, hey, you go do this, you go be like me. I I come to this saying, oh Lord, change me. This is the truth from this text. Lean into this. If you're a Jesus follower, the only person who could point Naaman to God was this girl. Friends, there are people in your life today who apart from you will never, ever, ever hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Do not take for granted that because we live in the United States of America that everyone has heard the good news don't take for granted that every family member you interact with has heard the gospels, had someone share and urge them to follow Jesus Christ. Don't take that for granted, just like Naaman had only one chance to see God through this girl. You and I, there are people in our lives who will not know God apart from our faithfulness to share it. Are you extending grace? Are you withholding it? Even this weekend, you've gotten to hang out with family members and friends from 4th of July, and God's opened up doors and avenues and conversations that maybe you've not opened in months or years. And God has opened up an opportunity for you to be an extender of grace to someone who needs it the most. Will we be people who extend or withhold what God has done for us through Jesus Christ? And the call to go to the nations, there are people Hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people around the world who've never, ever, ever, ever heard the good news of the gospel. Will we go? Will we tell them? Will we take the message? Will we send people to go? This isn't the only Israelite we see in this passage. We see the king of Israel. Again, the girl who's a slave girl, she knows more about God than the king. The king's supposed to be the representative of God to the people. But he seems to forget who God is. So Elisha steps in. He hears the story of what's going on. He goes to the king and he says, Why do you fear? Do you not know there's still a prophet in Israel? And when he says that, he's not saying, Hey, look at me. I'm the prophet. I'm the man. No, what, the prophet was the mouthpiece of God. So this is what Elisha is saying. King, do you forget there's still a God in Israel? You may not be able to feel it. You may not see it. It may not seem like it, but God is alive. God is on the move. God is working. You can trust him. So Naaman's only hope is for someone to point him to the God who saves. The third thing we see about Naaman is this, and let's keep reading. Verse, As Naaman's healing is completely dependent upon his surrender and submission. Look with me in verse 9. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh will be stored, and you will be clean. I'll just pause for a second and as we kind of wade into this story. The Jordan was not a good place to take a bath, okay? Nasty, stinky, dirty, unsanitary water, all right? We're not going to talk about why all that's the case. Just take my word for it. Gross. You can imagine grossest things that could happen in a river. Take that times ten. So that's, that's what he's asking to do. Verse 11, But Naaman was angry and went away saying, Behold, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place to cure the leper. I thought the prophet would come to me. They would wave his hand. They would work his magic and heal me. That's not what's happening. So he turned and went away in rage. Naaman is ticked off. He's angry. He's prideful. I'm powerful. I'm successful. I deserve to have the prophet come to me for him to heal me. I've brought my payment. I will pay you. You will heal me. What are you talking about making me go wash in this nasty, revolting, repulsive water? I could go somewhere else in my own home country that's nice and do it myself. Why must I do it this way? It disgusted him. His servants step in, but his servants came near and said, My father, is it not a great word that he has said to you, wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times according to the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. He was made clean. The third truth we see about Naaman is that his healing is completely dependent upon his surrender and submission. His healing is completely dependent upon his surrender and submission. He wants the man of God to come out. Why does Elisha not come? Because he wants Naaman and everyone else watching to know that he is not healing Naaman. God alone is the God who heals. Yahweh alone is the God who saves. So what we see about Naaman here is Naaman, he wants to pay Elisha. He wants Elisha to come wave his hand. He wants it done his way. He wants respect. He wants to be made clean on his own terms. But friends, we cannot come to God on our own terms and be saved. We must come to God on his terms, in his way. And there's only one way for salvation. There's only one way to be made clean. There's only one way to find healing. This is the point of this passage. For Naaman to be healed, he must submit to God's way. He cannot earn it on his own. One of the truths that we see in this passage is that the best we have to offer is utterly insufficient to meet our greatest need. The best that you and I have to offer is utterly insufficient to meet the deepest need we have. We need God. His way, His terms, not our way. And the picture of the water is a picture of this, that God's means of healing comes through weakness and surrender. There's one way to be saved. Must wash in the water seven times. This nasty, revolting, disgusting water. Dear friend, the only way that you and I can be made clean from sin is we must be washed in the blood of the Lamb. We must be washed in the blood of the land, the land that was slain. Jesus went to a cross, a bloody, repulsive cross. The 1 Corinthians says that the cross is folly, it's foolishness to those who are perishing. It doesn't make sense. We wear a cross around our neck, it's jewelry, we put it on our shirts, whatever. The cross was a torture device. It was heinous in the ancient world. Just like this river was nasty and disgusting and repulsive, that's what the cross was. And for God to become a man and God to die, it's repulsive. The depth of our sin that would require the Son of God to lay down His life for us, it is unimaginable. That's that's the picture here. But Naaman, he submits himself. He goes into the water one, two, three, four, five times, no change, six times, no change, seven times. He comes out clean. Friends, for any of us who will trust in Christ, who will come not on our terms, but God's terms, who will rest in the grace of Christ and be washed in His blood, you can be made clean today. You can be rescued today. This is the good news, what God has done for us in Christ. So let's finish this and see what happens. Verse 14, so he went down, and he dipped himself seven times in the Jordan. According to the word of the man of God, And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. He was made clean. Verse 15, then he returned to the man of God. He and all his company, and he came and stood before him. And he said, behold, I know that there's no God in all of earth but in Israel. That's really important. So if you highlight, underline, circle, you want to circle, highlight this. God is changing Naaman's heart. Remember at the beginning we said Naaman had a skin problem, leprosy, but he had a deeper need, a, fit, a spiritual need, a sin problem, leprosy at the heart. God has changed Naaman's heart. Keep going. Verse 16, but he said, As the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive none. This is Elisha talking. Naaman urged him to take the things, but Elisha refused. Verse 17, then Naaman said, If not, please let there be given to your servant two mule loads of earth. So he's saying, okay, if you want to take my things, can I take two big sacks of dirt home with me? Kind of weird, right? We'll get to that in just a second. From now on, your servant will not offer burnt offerings or sacrifice to any god but the Lord. So what's Naaman saying? I worship the one true God not worshiping those gods anymore. I'm not worshiping those idols. I have a new God. He is Jehovah. He is Yahweh. I worship him alone. 18. In this matter, may the Lord pardon your servant. So would you forgive me for what I'm about to say? When my master goes into the house of your servant, the uh, house of Rimon, to worship there, leaning on my arm, and I bow myself in the house of Rimon, when I bow myself in the house of Ramon, the Lord pardon your servant in this matter. And he said to him, Go in peace. So, this is the last thing that we see about Naaman, and it's this Naaman not only receives physical healing, but he also receives a new heart. Naaman not only receives physical healing, but we see here he receives a new heart. God heals him, he heals his leprosy. He's made new again. Clean, says so just like a child's skin is clean and, and soft. I have little kids and their skin is a lot, you know, smoother to touch than my skin is. I've got wrinkles and bags and all that kind of stuff going on. So he's saying his skin and flesh is fully restored. And the picture is that when God heals you and he heals me from our sin, it's a full restoration from the inside out. But God doesn't just heal Naaman's physical needs, He gives Naaman a new heart. So Naaman asked three things of Elisha. The first is this. Would you take this gold, this silver, this clothing? And Elisha says, no. Why? You don't do anything to earn healing. God heals you. We don't do anything for God. God makes a way for us. Elisha doesn't need something from Naaman. All he needs is found in God. That's the point. And we don't have time, but if you walk through the rest of the story, you see the Elisha servant, he doesn't get that. He tries, he lies to Naaman. He lies to Elisha to get some of his clothing and money. And in his trying to take this situation and make an advantage out of it, an opportunity out of it, he receives leprosy. He receives the disease that Naaman had, but the issue is that he had leprosy of the heart all along. You can read about that. So two other things Naaman asks. He says, one, can I take two mule loads of earth back with me? Well, what is going on there? Like, why do you want to carry dirt back? I've never had anyone after service come up to me and say, hey, could I dig up a couple truckloads of dirt after worship and take it back to my house? Uh, So what's going on here? Well, what's happening is that Naaman is going to go back to his hometown He's saying, I want to worship the one true God. And so as a picture, as a symbol that I am now worshiping a new God, the one true God, I want to take dirt back from Israel that I can lay out. And it's a reminder to me and a reminder to my family that I worship the one true God. The God who's rescued me on this ground I take back with me as a picture so Naaman is going back to his people, going back to his family, going back to the servant girl, and he's carrying with him a reminder of what God has done for him. But here's the second thing that Naaman asked Elisha, and this is important for us, brothers and sisters. He comes to Elisha and says, when I go back home, I'm going to have to go in with the king of Syria to the temple of the false god, and I'm going to have to bow before that false god. I'm not worshiping him I'm worshiping the one true God, but I want you to know this is what I'm going to have to do for me to go back into my culture, for me to go back into my job, for me to go back where God's called me to go back. I'm going to have to bow the knee to this God. I'm not worshiping Him, but would you forgive me? Notice what Elisha says. He doesn't say no. He doesn't say, cursed be upon you. What does he say? Go in peace. You have my blessing. You go back to your culture your place and you worship the Lord there where God has you so how do we respond to this passage how do we respond to this text I just want to give us a few takeaways as we go and just hang with me as we finish this this is so important the first is this we are called by God to carry the good news of the gospel to those who are far from God One response for us is that God, I said this at the very beginning, God saves those who are far off, far away. God has called you and called me. If you are son or daughter of the living God, God has called us to carry the good news of the gospel to those who are far from him. This is why you're here. This is why I'm here. That's why God has rescued us to go and tell. And as I said earlier, there are people in your life, who will not know Jesus unless you tell them. There are people in my life and in my family's life that unless I'm faithful to share, they may never hear the good news. We've been commissioned to do this. Elisha sends Naaman back with the dirt in worship to take that to his family. What God has called us to do, church. I'm so thankful for what God's doing here. I'm so thankful for the video. We got to see baptisms, how there's a life change that's happening. That overjoys my heart. And in the last year, we've seen more people come join in Tri-Cities Baptist Church and membership than we have in years previous. I'm so thankful for that. And if you're one of those people, I'm thankful for you. But can I tell you something that's a conviction on my heart? I long for the day when the majority of people who are joining our church are not transfers of membership, but are people who you and I have been able to see come to faith in Jesus Christ because we have been faithful to share the message. I long for that day. I'm burdened that we don't see that, that more and more churches are competing for the same people. I want us to be a church who carries the gospel out into our culture, into our cities, and is faithful to share. Church is what we've been called to do. The God who would go out of His way, if you want to call it that, who would reach down into a pagan general in Syria has called us to go and carry the good news. Who's God called you to extend grace to today? Who's in your sphere of influence that you can extend grace to or who you're choosing to withhold grace from today? Here's another response for us. We've been called to choose to not run from culture And to not become like culture, but instead to engage culture with truth and love. Notice that Elisha sends Naaman back. And Naaman says, hey, I'm going to go into this temple of a false god. Please forgive me. I'm not worshiping that god. I'm worshiping my god. But I'm going to go back because this is my job. This is my role. And What does Elisha say? Go in peace. Friends, you and I have been called to go into culture, and we live in a dark culture. And culture's changing, we know that. And the change in the Supreme Court laws, even last week, our culture is a dark culture. But God has never called his people to go run from culture, to isolate themselves, to hide themselves away, to protect themselves. That's not what God calls us to do. Elisha doesn't say, hey, Naaman, no Naaman, you come, stay in Israel, protect yourself from those false gods. No, he says, Go. On the other hand, God doesn't tell us to go become like culture and do everything that culture does and live in sin. That's not what he says. But we are to go engage, lovingly engage culture with the truth of God's word, but also the love of God. We see that here. We see that in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that God sends these men in Babylonian captivity. They take on the names of false deities. They live in that culture, and they do it for the glory of God. Even Jesus himself, he was a friend of what? Drunkards, sinners, gluttons. Did he ever shy away from telling the truth of God? No, he didn't, but he went into those spaces. Friends, God has called us to do this. We cannot blame the darkness for being dark, but we can blame the light for not being the light in the darkness. We've called to be the light. Jesus said, Let your light shine before men so they may see my Father and glorify Him. We're called to be salt and light. Salt preserves and heals. Light exposes the darkness. That's what we've been called to be. Last response for us this morning. We are called to walk by faith knowing that God is in control and is working for His glory and our good. We walk by faith knowing that God is in control and is working for His glory and our good. I want you to hang with me. This This is so important to understanding this passage. I'm utterly convinced the more I read God's Word that the things that God allows you and the things that God allows me to walk through in this life oftentimes are as much for others as they are for us. Paul says this in 1 Timothy. He says, I'm the chief of sinners and why has God saved me? He saved me so that you might see Him and glorify Him. Friends, God is doing things in your life, things are happening to you, things you may not like, things you may not see reason and purpose in, things that you might wish that could be let go. But if you are a child of God, if you've placed your faith in Him, nothing is happening in your life without purpose. Joseph said, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. We see that in Job. We see that all throughout Scripture. We see it here. Think about the servant girl. Why would God allow a child to be ripped from her home, her country, and her family and go live as a pagan, in a pagan's home as a servant? Why? So that Naaman could see God. Her life, her tragedy, her suffering, her hurt, her confusion was not purposeless. It had meaning. Why is Naaman's story here? Why do we read this today? Why is it in this? Why of all the things that could be within God's Scripture that this story is here? Ends in Luke four. If you turn your Bibles there, Luke four, verse sixteen. This won't be on the screen. Jesus is in the synagogue, beginning his ministry. He pulls out a scroll of Isaiah, the prophet, and he reads this, verse 18, "...the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he's anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovering sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, proclaim the year of the Lord's favor." And Jesus rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, "...today the Scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing." Drop down to verse 24. And Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. Verse 26. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. This, what Jesus is saying is, there were hundreds of widows in the day of Elijah that God sent his prophet to one, a non-Jew, who had no hope, who did not know the God who saves. In verse 27, And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. Verse 28, When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with rage against Jesus. Why? This is what Jesus was saying. God's plan to save is bigger than a nationality. It's bigger than a nation. Our God is the God of the nations, and our God is come to save those who are farthest away. We are the farthest away. Servant girl exists to point Naaman to God. Naaman's story exists in 2 Kings so that hundreds of years later, Jesus could sit in a temple and say, I am life. I have come to save the oppressed. I have come to open up the eyes of the blind. And it's not just coming to a group of people, but I've come to the world so that the good news might come to those who are furthest from me. Our God is the God who saves those who are far away. Friends, we are all far away apart from Christ. And if you are a Christian, if you are a Jesus follower in this room, God has rescued and redeemed you and he's placed you in your life, in your home, in your workplace, in pain and difficulty, wherever you are for a purpose to make him known, make him look glorious, to extend grace so that others might come to know him. Are we doing that? We've been called to do that. Are we doing that faithfully? you bow your heads and close your eyes? So there's time to respond. And there's really two responses this morning. The reason I ask you to close your eyes isn't because we're going to do anything special. It's because I want to give you an opportunity to sit and think and rest. And this is a time for you to respond to what God might be calling you to. For some of you in this room, you're naming. We're reading through this passage and, and you're Naaman. You You are sin sick. And as you're hearing about Naaman's brokenness and his need and his inability to rescue himself, you sit there and you say, man, that is me. Like, I have success at work, I have things going for me, but deep inside me is brokenness I cannot fix, I cannot heal. And I need the God who saves. I need a new heart. I need to be washed by this water that you're talking about. Washed in the blood of the Lamb to be made pure and be made clean. I need a relationship with Jesus Christ if that is you, friend, we are so glad that you're here. You can know Him. You can be saved. You can be healed of your brokenness. You can be healed of your disease today. And it comes from placing your faith in Jesus Christ. Before you leave this morning, we want to extend to you grace and the opportunity to do that. And so when you leave in a few moments, you head out these doors, you hang left the hub. I'm there. I'd love to talk to you. Other people are there. We'd love to pray with you, talk to you about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. Don't leave to you today. This is the most important thing that you're doing. And even now, God is opening up your eyes to see the beauty of His Son who died in your place. For the rest of us in this room, if you are a Christian, if you're a Jesus follower, the, the response is simple. God has called you and he's called me to be extenders of grace. Who's God calling you to be an extender of grace to this morning? Who's your name in this morning? Pagan far from God. Difficult, maybe even to be around. It could be a family member. Could be a coworker. Could be someone on your kid's little league team. It could be to pack up your family Move across the world to a people group who've never had access to the gospel. Who, who is your name in this morning? So your response might just be to pray. Might be to revisit those three names you've been praying about. God, give me boldness. Give me opportunity. Give me wisdom. Let me be like the serpent girl. Let me be like Elisha. Let me be like Jesus who came to give his life so others might know God. Your time. I'm going to pray for us. You respond. Prayer. If you sing, you're going to come talk. We're here. Father, we give this time to you. We thank you that you first love us, that you sent your Son on our behalf. We thank you for your word. Moments of darkness and moments of confusion, that you're still at work. You're working for your glory and our good. We lean into that this morning. Thank you for my brothers and sisters. I'm so thankful to get to serve here and be with them, to do life with them. And I pray that out of this room you'd raise up men and women who would leverage their lives for the glory of God. That you would be more than enough, all we need. I pray there would be a day when the sun never goes down, there's not a missionary from Tri-Cities standing on that shore, or on that sand, or in that place telling people the good news. We pray that you change our city Pray you change our families. Pray you change us. It's in the name of the Father, and the Son that we pray, Holy Spirit. Amen.